Your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Nice, nice, nice. Okay, so we got, um, that goes 105, all right. Uh, I don't need that, I don't want to put that there. Um, we got some things to read before we get started. Um, let's see here. Okay, I'm not going to read the Jesus film thing because I read it on Sunday. And if anybody uh, wants to know if you didn't hear what I said, I think it's probably, uh, may not be. I may not have included it with the sermon, but uh, the Jesus film meeting summed up um, uh, that 46 people came and nine came to trust Jesus. Okay, and so... Um, uh, got that and then I have from him uh, he emailed me this week and this one is uh, he's got two requests and uh, the first one I'm going to read and I think it'll make, bless everybody um, uh, by the testimony and then there's something he needs at the end uh, this he translated this for a person that uh, uh, went to one of the Jesus movies a couple uh, months ago Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I send my greetings to you in the name of Jesus, and his name is Dilip Kumar and his wife Shama. First of all, I feel to be thankful to God for his mercy and grace that I am in peace and spiritual joy in me by accepting him in my life. I accepted Jesus by watching the Jesus film in the video meeting that I attended two months ago. I came to know about Jesus by one of my neighbors where I got to know a great change in him. I noticed his changed attitude for a month since I never saw any changes in his life before. I met with him several times and I always noticed that he was so humble and decent person that never was before. One day I asked him how he got such a change in his life. He said it's a great story that God changed him. He did not change himself, instead God changed him. I was become more interested to know about it because I already worshiped God in my Hindu faith and I obeyed all the commandments, but I never got such a change in my life. So he invited me to this film meeting. When I went to attend, I found there were so many other people who came to know like me. After watching this film, I was weeping myself that how much God loves the sinful people by sending his son Jesus to die for the sins to be removed. It was so painful, his death. I came to know that God was changing me too. And that change was so amazing that never happened in my life before. I began to feel peace, joy, and humbleness. I came to receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior at that time. I was secret in my new faith because of the fear from my family and other relatives. I have been suffering from a terrible skin disease for about four years and also have been suffering from nasal problem that my nose bone uh, is enlarged in size that needs a surgery. I always went to different shrines and shaman people who could never heal me. The skin disease is now spreading in all over my body and my whole body is covered with this terrible disease. I know that's true because he took pictures of them and sent to me. So I can send you those pictures if you uh, want me to forward them to you. I now found it is affecting my wife to be infected through me. I have two children and I'm very afraid they might, might also get this disease. I'm having difficulty with... Uh, I, I think it's breathing, but it's not spelled like that. Anyway, this causes me so much difficulty to work. Anyhow, I began to teach my wife about my new faith on God. She was concerned that her parent would not allow her to get involved in Christian things. 
However, she attended this film meeting last month and she found it very helpful to her. She was touched by God's love. She came to know that she needs eternal salvation and therefore she came to believe in him as her personal savior. As a Hindu, we always believed in multiple gods and we worshiped them in the temple that we made in our house. My wife and I decided to destroy this temple last month. We are not telling anyone about our new faith until we feel to be secured and need God's help to be protected. I work as a laborer on daily wages. I am in need of God's help for my medical expenses to get treatment for my skin disease and the nose surgery. I would need to take some tests. Doctor said it will be about three months to take medication to be healed from the skin problem. This would cost $190 for skin treatment and $253 for the nose surgery, including doctor fees, surgery, laboratory tests, and medicine. You're talking about $253 for surgery. Unbelievable. Please pray that we will be safe and we will grow in the knowledge of God's word to follow his true teaching. Um, if anybody wants to send an uh, email to me, and uh, if you want to take care of that, what's that? Uh, we'll just say $200, um, $450 about that. If anybody wants to do that, let me know, and I'll wait until Sunday. And if I haven't got a response, then on Sunday I'll read it. And if I don't get one by Monday morning, I will take care of it. But I just want to give somebody a chance to help this gentleman if you want to. So uh, uh, it's going to be about, like I say, 253 and 190 And uh, then I'll pay the uh, transfer fees if somebody wants to help this guy. And then I got one more from Nazir himself. And this is to mention that God is doing wonderful things among the people here who are led by his Holy Spirit. And they're doing very well in their experience of their new faith. Some of these are witnessing to others in their neighborhoods. Uh, their neighbors, which is so nice that God is using them for his glory. We are praying and planning to do a Christmas worship meeting where we want to cut Christmas cake with refreshment and have Christmas celebration together. Many new believing families are asking to conduct this Christmas worship meeting on 25th December. This will be their first Christmas as uh, Christians. Some of these new believers will share their testimonies to encourage others by faith. There will be a children Christmas meeting and we will present some gifts. We will share the story of Jesus among these children. Please, please pray that God will help and make this successful event that many uh, that others may know and join about uh, Jesus as Son of God. Uh, this would cost $242 for a refreshment. So if anybody wants to pick up either of these or any of the three, let me know. And um, from there, uh, if I, like I say, if I don't hear by Sunday, I'll read this again Sunday. And one way or another, I'll take care of this by Monday. Actually, Tuesday, because Monday is sermon typing. But I'll give people a chance if they want to help with that. Uh, I know that would be very much appreciated by these people. And as I said, I can send you the photos of the gentleman. He got his shirt up and he's just, he's covered with this. It looks like a really bad eczema or something. I don't know what, but poor guy. He must really suffer because he's a day laborer and he's got to work every day just to feed his family. So, um, uh, Tom, I got something over here for you when, before we leave. Um, okay. Uh, we'll read this. Oh, we got two prayer requests. Um, don't want to miss that. Uh, two prayer requests. Uh, Kiyosumi in Japan has colon stage four cancer. Uh, his wife, Akemi, plays uh, Christian songs, and they're both Christians. Um, they attend online uh, from time to time. Uh, but uh, some, mir some miraculous events have happened in the past week for him. It's been rather remarkable. But the cancer must be handled as it is a quick-spreading type. So she's asking for anybody that would just pray for her husband. He's not that old. 
and uh, he's got this uh, stage four colon cancer. And then um, Nancy, uh, her infection, we've been praying for her. She's had a bad infection. It, it went away and now it's come back again. They were supposed to come and visit uh, a week ago from Ohio and they couldn't because of it, and it, but it got better. And now it's come back and it's worse than before. So she's back to the doctor's care and she's got to go on all kinds of antibiotics. And uh, so keep Nancy in prayer as well. And uh, anyway, Akemi, her granddaughter also had adenovirus and she asked for prayers for him. And before I even got the class today, she said she her grandchild is healed. So praise the Lord for that. But keep uh, Kiyosumi and uh, Nancy in prayer. And then we'll read this and we'll get started here. Um, it's the, what day is it today? It's the 13th, 14th, 14th. I think it's the 14th. 14th. Okay. It says seven, ah, oh, it's for Sunday. Uh, yeah, that's for Sunday. That's why I, I can never remember this. Okay, a good monument. The area around Wheaton, Illinois was first settled by Erastus Gray from Connecticut in 1831. Six years later, Warren Wheaton, another Connecticut native, arrived and built a home at the corner of what is now Roosevelt Road and Naperville Street. The railroad came through, a grocery store was built, then an inn, and a liquor store. Soon the population reached 800. A number of slavery-hating Wesleyan Methodists settled in Wheaton. Horrified that their children might be trained by professors sympathetic to slavery, they decided to establish a school of their own. On a sizzling summer's day in 1852, a group of them knelt in the grass on the crest of a small hill overlooking the rolling prairie about a mile from the train station. They prayed that the hill and all that should be built upon it would be dedicated to God. A plain three-story limestone building went up for $10,000. And on December 14, 1853, Illinois Institute opened under the direction of Reverend John Cross. It soon filled with, it, yeah, it soon filled with students and with smoke for the stoves vented improperly. But the Wesleyan founders were mostly men who had little uh, of this world's goods, wrote one of their sons a generation later. They were reformers, especially interested in the anti-slavery struggle. The purpose was not so much to start a denominational school as to provide a place where the principles should not be smothered out. Because they possessed so little of this world's goods, the Institute failed financially, and in 1860, the trustees requested help from the wealthier Congregationalists. Jonathan Blanchard, Presbyterian pastor and academic, was appointed president. He, he approached Warren Wheaton for a large donation of property and offered to name the school Wheaton College. That will at least save your heirs the expense of a good monument, Blanchard said. The school reopened under the Congregationalists with the support of the Westlands and with a Presbyterian president. And for more than a century, Wheaton College has been training young people for Christ and his kingdom. Proverbs 1, 5 through 7, if you are already wise, you will become even wiser. And if you are smart, you will, under, you will learn to understand proverbs and sayings, as well as words of wisdom, and all kinds of riddles. Respect and obey the Lord. This is the beginning of knowledge. Only a fool rejects wisdom and good advice. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for the ability to come into your presence, knowing that you hear our prayers because of Jesus, our mediator. And so, Lord, we lift up uh, Kiyosumi in Japan, and we lift up Nancy in Ohio, and we certainly pray for them, asking that you would uh, tenderly and kindly uh, have your hand upon them. And there's another unstated uh, prayer request for two wives right now, one I can't name and the other uh, 
uh, you know who they are, Lord. So we uh, lift them up to you right now. And uh, we also um, uh, pray for that gentleman in Pakistan for his nose problem and for his uh, uh, skin infection. And we pray that that'll be healed and that he'll be able to go out and just tell people about the wonderful goodness of Jesus and how he uh, has uh, brought the body together by giving him the chance to be healed. And if it's your will, Lord, even before we send money, if you want to heal him, I know that uh, you do hear prayers like that and you respond according to your wisdom. Sometimes you withhold that and sometimes you provide it, but we pray for it either way. And we thank you that we have the chance to attend this Bible class tonight and to share in your wonderful word. Thank you for your precious word, which tells us about our wonderful, beautiful Savior, Jesus. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, okay, okay. We're in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, and we're in verse 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 4. So, um, if you want to read yours from the whatever Bible. NIV. NIV. You're going to read the NIV. Okay. Yeah. So, go ahead and do that. Verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Almost the same. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. So, um kind of close there. Uh, quite often the verb, I explained this in the Hebrew, uh, I think during a sermon recently, maybe not, anyway, it was at some point is that the uh, verb will often or will carry the uh, gender or the, you know, the is it singular or plural or whatever. And normally that won't be translated, so yours doesn't include you at the end, but this one does. It doesn't make any difference as long as it's understood. So, um, uh, that's the way the Greek and the Hebrew reads. So you know what's going on just from the verb itself. And if you want to make an emphasis, then you would repeat the word you, for example, or I, for example, because it's already in the verb, so you're emphasizing it. Anyway. Um, it's like Hebrew. Yeah. Oh. It's very similar in that regard. Um, uh, you know, I would say, and I could be completely wrong on this, there may be a reason why the Hebrew is so abrupt without all of the verbs and everything that we would... Uh, carry like is and are and all that but I would say that the Greek is probably one of the most precise languages it's so precise um, uh, whereas the Hebrew is you know it's just not as precise uh, I would say Greek is even more precise than English you know um, it, it, it just is very very uh, precise in how things are and there's a reason for that is because you need in the New Testament specificity to understand exactly what is being conveyed about Jesus. Whereas in the Old Testament, you're, you're looking forward to him. And so you don't need that specificity. He's coming, you know, he's going to be born in Bethlehem or, uh, you know, all these things, but you don't need the, the, the specificity. And I think that's probably why the Lord did that. I don't know. You know, I don't want to try to over speculate uh, why God did things the way he did. But uh, uh, yeah, the Greek is so precise. And uh, if you want good word studies on the Greek, um, like, say the word pistis, okay? Um, and I know a guy that sends them out from time to time. He sends out marvelous word studies. Uh, he's, where is he? is he? Oh, there he is, right over there in the blue shirt. Burke Carico. So uh, uh, he'll, he'll go to several different people. If you want to get his uh, uh, things, he doesn't have anything set time like I do. With, you know, the daily commentary, I type, type it, and then I uh, post it 14 or 10 days later, depending on how many I have saved up. But... Uh, I post it almost at the exact same moment every day. 
because I get up at the same time and I do the same thing. But Burke, he just sends stuff out whenever it feels good. And it's, uh, it's a real nice way of uh, doing things. And uh, you just get a surprise in your inbox from him. So if you want to receive his emails, just send me an email and I'll give you his uh, email address and we'll hook you up. Okay, um, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 4. Paul just said, but the Lord is faithful. In agreement with that, he continues with, here it is, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Paul's confidence is not at all in the faithfulness of those in Thessalonica. Instead, it is a confidence for them which is grounded in the Lord. This is the same thing that he relays to others, such as the church in Philippi. Let me take you to uh, Philippians 1, and I'll show you where he speaks about exactly that. Let's all right, and uh, let's see here. Philippians 1, and then we'll take you down to, well, I'll start in verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, here it is, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, just thinking about that verse, I don't know how people can come to any other conclusion than eternal salvation with it. I mean, I, I don't know how somebody could say, oh, this is a saved believer, He's a sin-filled person. He's going to make mistakes the rest of his life, but God will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to fulfill it. He's going to. J. Vernon McGee's Life Verse, 1-6. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I didn't know that, but it's, it's a wonderful verse, and you just wonder what people are thinking when they tell you, oh, yeah, you can lose your salvation. And they just get so dogmatic about these things. But anyway... Um, Talking about dogmatic, I had a guy that emailed me. He doesn't attend online or anything, but um, he emailed me and he wanted uh, to save me, save me from myself. He happened to be watching one of your videos and uh, he wanted to save me. And he said, uh, Paul is uh, uh, a heretic. He's, uh, you know, I've heard this before. I've had the same people contact me years ago, but uh, there's this whole thing out there that Paul is uh, not an apostle, that he's condemned that anybody that follows him is, uh, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, I get and, those emails too. What's that? I get those emails Oh, too. yeah. It's crazy. You know what? I mean, it's right in the Word. And so they have to say, well, to Peter, because Peter and to Peter supports Paul. He says, well, that that's not part of the Bible. So they're now taking out parts of the Bible. And uh, so I uh, I dismissed him. I said, all I, he sent me this long, tedious, boring email. And I just went back, yeah, no. And I just, that was my answer. And then he came back again, and so I wasn't very nice to him. And uh, uh, then he came back again. He says, I'm just trying to save you. Yeah, I just, you need, and of course, he's quoting law. You've got to observe the law. And uh, then from there, he, the first thing he did is he tempted me. If you can tell me who the two witnesses were with Paul at his conversion, I'll give you $10,000, which he wouldn't pay, but he doesn't know anyway. But my whole point is I, um, I went back to him finally just to get him to be quiet. And I said, okay, first off, there were not two witnesses with Paul. It just says men. It doesn't say how many there were. So, uh, and then the second thing was, he said that there's a contradiction between um, Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26, where Paul says, you know, I saw and heard, they didn't hear, whatever, okay? And then Acts 22 says, uh, they didn't hear. And then, 
Acts 26, he, he says that there's a contradiction, but I took everything and lined it up side by side. And I said, why would you even bring up Acts 26? It doesn't say anything about that. Okay, so he's just making stuff up as he goes. And he, um, uh, then I said, I'll read you the two so that you can know. And I sent these and I put them side by side. And uh, I said, now you tell me where is the contradiction because it certainly looks exactly like a contradiction. Um, and I told him I was waiting for his scholarly uh, analysis on this, but he never responded. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, Acts 9, it says, um, uh, uh, so he trembling, where is it? Uh, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And then in Acts uh, 22, it says, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Acts 22, you got to get to 22 to read from 22. Okay, 22. And then it says here, um, uh, and those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So it says right here, um, uh, where was it? Uh, uh, and the men journeyed with him, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And this one says, um, uh, they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So he says, that's a contradiction. It proves that Paul is an antichrist or something like that. Okay. So I put them side by side and I said, now I want you to explain the contradiction to me. And then I said, and when you do, I want to make sure that you hold the book of Acts as inspired, Right. Because if you're going to argue the book of Acts, then it must be inspired. All right? If not, then why are you arguing this at all? So, and that's why he never responded to me. It's because he knows I'm setting him up. The word of the book of Acts is inspired, and he's taking out little things that he wants to confuse people with. So, how do you reconcile the seeming contradiction? They saw, but they... And uh, they, what is it? Um, you heard the one and then you heard the other. They indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him. But the first one in Acts 9 said they heard the voice. How do you explain that contradiction? Because I just, uh, maybe, I, yeah, I just posted this within the past month. We're in Acts 22 right now. Anybody read that? How do you explain that seeming contradiction? I'll take you to what Jesus says. Jesus said, uh, you hear, but you don't listen, right? It's the exact same word in the Greek. So these people heard, but they didn't understand. Everybody got it? Just because somebody mistranslates the book of Acts doesn't mean that there's a contradiction. It means that you have to do your due diligence. They saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice because... It's the same as in Hebrew when it says, um, when you hear, it means to listen and it means to obey. There's more than just the audible, okay? In the Hebrew, when anytime I get to that word, I always explain it. That hearing doesn't just mean it going in. Hear, O Israel. Does it mean listen with your ear or does it mean pay attention and respond with your knowledge, right? Hear, O Israel. It's not just this. And so it's the exact same way in the Greek. And so when Jesus says in uh, hearing they will hear, but they will not understand, he cites, I think, Isaiah. It's the exact same word. He's just, you have to put it in the context of the sentence. And the context is that they heard the voice, but they didn't understand the voice. So if anybody ever sends you that kind of nonsense, study up and you'll get to that. But I'm surprised that you don't remember that because I just posted this within the, nobody listens anymore. <laughs>
Anyway, I don't expect everybody to remember all that stuff. It, there's a lot. You know, you read a commentary and you, it's like listening to a sermon. You might get one point out of it. So I'm just being, I'm belittling everybody just for fun. Don't take it personally. Anyway, that is the answer to that. But the way that I structured my response was inevitable that he will never respond. Because if he says that I don't hold X as inspired, then why would I argue with him? And if he says he does, then I would say, what about this? And I have another verse that I was going to submit to him if he did. But I don't have to because, but once you put them in that type of a box, they're, they're stuck. So keep that in mind. And uh, it, the same thing, the whole point of this comes back to what I was saying about eternal salvation. People will say that you don't have eternal salvation and they'll pull a verse out of its context and they'll expect you to defend it. Why would you defend something that's not even in the context that's been provided, right? It's like this guy. He's talking about salvation from Jesus' words to Israel under the law. That has nothing to do with anything. So make sure always keep your categories separate. If somebody is citing Jesus from Luke or Matthew or Mark about him speaking to Israel under the law, and they're arguing this pertains to you, don't even bother with the answer. Just say that is not referring to the church. Make sure you keep these things separate. So when somebody comes to you and says, Jesus says, because uh, I got this one last week, a, a lady emailed me and from time to time she'll email me and she'll say, you know, uh, how do I know I'm really saved? And I get this like 15 times a year from her. Some people are just scared because they listen to people that are telling them things that are not correct. And I go back the same every single time. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Do you believe the gospel? Yes, then you're saved. That's what Paul says. Just read it and done. It should be done in their minds. But then they go reading something from somebody on Facebook that takes, uh, you know, not many will be saved. Or uh, pray that you may stand worthy, uh, uh, stand, be counted worthy before the Son of Man. All of these verses, they have nothing to do with after Jesus' crucifixion. Don't even bother with answering them. Just tell them that's a different dispensation and you're wasting your time with that. Make sure the categories are separate. Eternal salvation is something that will be described in the New Testament after Jesus' resurrection, not before. He hadn't done his work. He hadn't completed the law. He's not speaking under that context. He's speaking to Israel knowing in advance that they are going to reject him and they're gonna go through the tribulation period. He's speaking to them as a corporate body. So keep those things in context. If anybody ever sends you something that uh, is concerning like that and you don't have an answer, email me and I'll get you an answer. I don't want people to be confused about their salvation because when it says that we, God in Christ is going to see you through to the end, he is going to do it. He's going to do it. So anyway. Charlie, uh, yes. just look at those two verses just to compare what you just said. Yeah. It's incredible. And also, I just noticed it also uses the word uh, for voice. It's yeah. not voice, but a sound. Right. When you can look up, it can be so they heard. In the first verse, where it says they heard the voice. That's right. It actually says phone, or not to pronounce yeah. it, phone, phonetics. Phony. They heard a sound. Yeah. But in the second one, they could not understand. So it's. Right. There's no contradiction. Also, the sound, this could be just a sound they heard, not the Absolutely. voice. Absolutely. And so like I say, Jesus about. says exactly that uh, in one sentence. Exactly cool. that. And so when you, yeah. And when you said it right now, I was listening to you. I was like, okay, it makes sense. But now that I see them side by side in front of me, 
hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like that's Absolutely. probably why we didn't reply to you because he saw it himself and he understood that, that there's no contradiction. Absolutely. Or maybe uh, he didn't. Maybe he uh, just knew uh, that he was being set up. Because I you know, I just don't have time for people like that. And so uh, you take the simplest path and just say, Now you defend why you're believing what and they can't. There's no defense for it. So anyway, cool. yeah, it's I'm glad you checked that out because yeah, very cool. Yeah. Uh, and you'll get a lot of that from uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul is referring to tongues and uses all of these different words for, you know, the voice and the, the sound and the, and when you study that passage, and I've got it all on the uh, commentary for that passage, but everything makes sense. But when you have a translation that isn't properly translated, it doesn't make any sense. And you think, well, I must be, have to go out and speak in tongues at church to be saved or something. It's not saying that at all. Anyway, and once again, what does the word tongues mean? Language. That's all it means, language. That's all it means. You know, it's an old archaic word that has been carried on by people ever since it was introduced. And people think tongues, that's not something normal. And so it must be something abnormal and it's got to be spirit inspired. It's not. My wife speaks Tongues. You speak tongues. You speak tongues. In Hebrew, it's still, still the same word. Yeah. When you say a different language, you say a different tongue. You don't. You don't have a separate word for language. Right. It's tongue. That's right. Yeah. So absolutely, it just uh, tongues are not what charismatic people teach. And if you got that in your head that it is, I hate to tell you, but you're wrong. All it means is a language. When Paul says that I speak with more tongues than all of you, it's because Paul spoke in a lot of languages. He spoke his native dialect. He spoke Latin, certainly, being a citizen. He spoke Greek. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew because he would have been trained in the original Hebrew. And he probably spoke many other dialects through his travels. And so when he says that, he's not kidding. He spoke a lot of languages. And those people didn't travel. They were just living in their town. They were laborers, and they might have spoke their native dialect and some more classical Greek, and that was it. And most of them, not even that. They probably just spoke their native dialect. So, uh, yeah, everything in context, everything, it'll all work out. Anyway, I know that was a big diversion, but it's important to understand that when somebody challenges you on eternal salvation, don't let them. Don't let them pull that wool over your eyes. Stick to the context and say, okay, I want you to explain how that can be pertaining to me if he was saying it to Israel and they're still under the law. Throw it back on them and let them defend it. They can't. They'll just drop the argument. Okay, Paul understood the wretched state of the human heart and its ability to not effectively work out anything but evil. However, when one is in Christ, there is the truth that Christ's power and purposes can be realized us realized in us in a way which was previously not possible. This doesn't mean that saved believers are automatons which can rely on Christ to do everything for us, but that when we are willing to submit to him, we are able to do what he expects of us. Okay, this book, we'll just go from the New Testament. There's not a lot in there. We'll go to the epistles because this is this is really our marching orders. I did this last year, and it's surprising when you actually see it, okay? Starting in Romans 1, and I'll even take you through the other epistles. I, I'm going to go beyond Paul, okay, because we can get good instruction even from, uh, uh, you know, John all the way to the last, or Jude, I'm sorry. That's the last epistle. That's it. That's all that we have. And a lot of that is just, you know, explaining things like uh, why they're neurotic or explaining, you know, this is it. 
it's not impossible for us to be obedient to the Lord. It's not like, you know, the government uh, alone has so many laws that it would fill this entire room with paper, okay? It, it's impossible to imagine how many laws we have in this nation. And that's only the federal government. Add in all of the other levels. God doesn't expect a lot out of us. But it's up to us to say, I am willing to be obedient to what he tells me to do. And one, you have to know it, and then you have to say, I will accept that. Because I know people that are, say, believers that don't do what they're supposed to be doing, okay? And in some way or another, we all don't. We get over the speed limit, and we're supposed to obey the laws of the land, all that kind of stuff, okay? So, in some way or another, we all fall short of the Lord. That's just how it is. But when we are willing to know what the Lord says to us and expects of us, and we yield ourselves to that, we can do it. There's nothing so hard that we cannot do. And people that aren't trained in Bible, I'm talking about a, a, a good study of the Bible, think that the Bible is just this giant book beaten over our... I had a lady that was talking to me a day ago. I was at the dumpster separating stuff behind 7-Eleven, and um, she apparently works in the strip mall next to the... on the other side of 7-Eleven. And... Um, she was over there smoking a cigarette, and she uh, was talking about her father, grandfather, I think her grandfather uh, was a Methodist minister, and he was always beating revelation over her head, you know, and she, he was trying to scare her into heaven, and so she's completely walked away, and I'm thinking, you know, that's not the way to run your life in the Lord, is to one try to scare people into heaven, and two, live your life fearfully. Now, if he was a Methodist, he believed he could lose his salvation. And so probably he wants to beat it in there so that they are obedient and they don't fall away. But the Lord understands our failings. He understands our weaknesses. And he is not going to give us something that we can't do. All right? I don't, you know, I feel so bad for people that are stuck in the, all these bondages that are found in church after church after church. You know, and I'm not saying there aren't good churches. There's lots of good churches out there, but there are a lot of really bad doctrine churches out there. And it starts usually with the the main denomination and it just filters down throughout all of the people. Uh, God is so gracious to us. We were talking, Burke and I were talking about that. You know, you read the Bible and the more you read it, it the more of a treasure it is. It's not a book that's condemning you. It's a book that's telling you salvation is here. He's done the work. Just rejoice in it when you're reading it. Anyway, um, uh, Christ doing, uh, yeah, um, yes, our human will is not excluded from the process. And we can choose to work out evil even after coming to Christ. But if we desire to do as he wills, he will ensure that it is possible for us to do so. He will help us through it, okay? But we've got to do our part. We're not automatons. He doesn't just suddenly say you're saved and here you're going to live this perfect life forever. And at the same time, uh, we're not uh, beings that are supposed to be rebellious to what he has saved us to, okay? Paul then states what that confidence in his hearers is, his words, both that you do and will do the things we command you. It is the same formula which is found throughout Paul's writings. God presents an offer, man receives the offer. It is a synergistic working of God's divine offer and assistance.
being coupled with man's human efforts. Synergism means working together, okay? Syn is uh, S-Y-N. You'll see it at the beginning of many, many words in the English language. It means together, okay? So synergistic, the second word is erg, work. So you've got work together, synergistic, all right? Uh, what is it, um, uh, Calvinism? They don't believe in synergism at all. They're monergists. God does everything, okay? He, everything for salvation, I sh should say. You have no part in it at all. That, the Bible doesn't teach that. It's not even close to it. We have our responsibility in the salvation process. He's done all the work. All we have to do is believe, okay? That's not a work. As a matter of fact, uh, I was watching Maya's Bible Bite last night, and I had said this a while ago, and I'm glad that I watched it last night because it reminds you. You know, you hear these things, and then you forget because there's so much to remember. But uh, faith is excluded as a work. Paul explicitly excludes it as a work in the book of Romans. Faith is excluded. And so it can't be that what they're claiming in, my, in uh, Calvinism is true. It can't be that you're somehow violating scripture by believing unto salvation, which is what the Bible tells you to do, by the way. Anyway, um, so glad that she posts those. They're these little blips, and they just, they're, uh, if you don't subscribe to the Bible Bites at the Superior Word, do so. They're so helpful, even to me. You know, I just forget these things. There's just too much to do during the day. But when you have something just down in a one-minute Bible Bite, it, it, it's, it a, just, it's a different YouTube channel. Well, it's her channel. Yeah, yeah she just letting people know. So oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's can't a, find it here. You have to search for. Yeah, you got to search for Bible Bites at the Superior Word, and then what you do is you go over and you go Bing and subscribe, and then if you want to get it, uh, force you click notifications. Is that right? Yeah, there's a little bell. If you oh. don't push it, you won't see it. Okay, your, yeah. Your, so push the bell and then push it all. All. Push the bell and then select all. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's you, why I don't get some notifications. Yeah, you can push the bell and then it's like two. The default mode is two. You don't still don't get all the videos. It's what YouTube decides. What wow, you you I did all, not know that. Then you get okay, all. subscribe bell all. I had I've never heard that before. So and I subscribed to some channels and I wonder why don't why didn't I find that? I had to go to the channel and all of a sudden there it is. Now I know. So all okay. You learn something new every day, right? Okay, um, let's see here. Uh, this does not mean that man's works are credited for salvation, okay? There's no credit for us in salvation, zero. Jesus did the work. God has done all the work, but man must respond to the offer by exercising faith. Romans 3.27, oh, here it is. I say it right here. Romans 3.27 excludes faith as being considered a work. Let me read that to you. I'm glad that, see, last night I watched this. Tonight in another study, I don't know how long ago that study she posted last night was, but exactly the same thing. Isn't that funny? Um, I mean, it's not ha-ha funny, it's odd funny. Okay, and I said it's Romans uh, 3.27. It says here, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, faith cannot be a work. It's impossible. Okay? So, Calvinism is wrong. R-O-N-G. Wrong. Romans 3.27 excludes uh, faith as being considered work. After salvation, our proper walk in Christ follows the same pattern, but it then involves human effort beyond faith. We must work out 
our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's Philippians 2.12. Work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. As far as the, and that means that if you don't work out your own salvation, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you haven't lost your salvation. It means that you are not working out your salvation. It has nothing to do with the end result. It has to do with your life in Christ right now. When he says, work out your own salvation, he's not telling you that you have to earn salvation. He's telling you that you need to be a participating in your life in Christ right now. That's what that means. Work out your own salvation means Like a workout in a gym. Like, exactly. Working out in a gym. If you want the end result, you will believe by faith. If you want to participate in a healthy way, you will work out your own salvation like lifting weights. Not going to save you, you know. It's All it's doing is it's having you develop yourself while you are in this walk, okay? As far as the word command... It is a word which signifies a watchword or a command that has full authorization because it has gone through the right and correct channels. Paul's commission is specifically noted in Acts 9. He and those with him had the full authority of Christ Jesus to make such commands as authorized by the Lord. He will begin to give some such commands in just two verses. Life application. Times of trial are certain to come. But if we are properly directed and if we are determined to patiently endure them, then those trials will not destroy our faith. Instead, we will be able to maintain it through the trials. If we are lacking these things, we should pray for the Lord to direct us and establish us in them. He will graciously grant such a request as he has done for the countless faithful who have gone before us. If you just are, you know, if you're one of these people that just is not getting your faith. You're just like that lady I talked about a while ago. She's just not getting it. Just pray to the Lord. Lord, I need you to help me with this. He's not going to deny that to his person. He's not going to deny it to his child. He wants you to be understanding of his word. And so what he's going to tell you when you make that prayer is read your Bible. That's what he's going to tell you. He's not going to audibly tell you in your word, but he's going to convict you that you need to know the word because you're not going to know any other way. You're not going to know the will of the Lord unless you read the word of the Lord. It's not going to happen. So read your Bible, read your Bible, and then read your Bible some more. Okay, that's what you need to do. Be in this word day and night. Think on this word. You know, I got an email from somebody this week. He's so interested in Genesis 38. And, you know, he said, I have emailed all kinds of people about this because he's trying to understand what's going on in there. He's got some ideas about what's going on in there. And so I responded to him, and he said, usually they either send back an email real long that doesn't say anything, or they don't respond at all. And I thought, that's a real shame, you know, because the point is he's just trying to learn something, and he's asking, what do you think about this? Anyway, um, very nice to hear from him. Anyway, uh, three, six. No, five? Uh, yeah, three, five. Wait a minute. Wait, yeah. Oh, five. Okay. So. I thought I, I slept through one. <laughs> oh, yeah, three, five. Sorry about that. Okay, three, five. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Okay, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. And perseverance and patience are not the same thing. 
So anyway, one of them is right and one of them isn't, but whatever. Um, sometimes you have a word that's synonymous, but patience and perseverance are not the same. Patience is able to wait on something. Perseverance is more active. You're, you know, you're, you're working through something. That was your question about Job and some translations do perseverance. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Testament. Yeah, so. that's absolutely right. So yeah, no wonder you didn't get it. You don't read enough versions. <laughs> They what? Steadfast. Steadfastness. Perseverance and steadfastness are very close. That's great. That is great. Whereas patience would be more like, um, what's another word for patience? Um, uh, well, we all know what patience is, so I'm not going to worry about it. It's what? Endurance, maybe? Yeah, I, I put that more with perseverance. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, 3-5. An implicit reference to the Trinity is stated here. Now may the Lord direct your hearts is a work which properly belongs to a Holy Spirit. That's right. The Lord here would be in Paul's mind the Greek rendering of the divine Hebrew name of God. In the Greek, it is a general word for God, but the order of the verse is showing that us, that he is thinking of the sacred name first, which he then breaks down into the persons and workings of the Godhead. He says, into the love of God. That gives the sense of so that you may love God. This doesn't mean that they didn't yet love God. He's writing to say believers, but Paul is petitioning that they will always be directed to love God. Now, think of all the people that have been saved over the past year in Pakistan. There's such a great thing going on over there. It just, it's so wonderful. These people are over there. Now, one of them, heard about Jesus. He emailed me about the Trinity. And after that, all of a sudden, there was a fire lit and he is just all over the place, right? Okay. Has everybody else done the same thing as him? Are any of them on the same spiritual level? Absolutely not. Everybody's working out their own salvation in their own way. And uh, read this again. It does not mean that they didn't yet love God. That guy that we just heard from today has come to love Christ. And so much so that he told his wife, and so much so that they destroyed all of the Hindu temple that they had in their house. Okay, it, it made me think of the house of Bethuel um, and Laban. You know, they had those gods in their house. They're praying to stones, right? Now he knows that's not right. But they're not on the same level as this guy who's out there telling them. He's, he's so on fire that he's just, he's got to tell people. He doesn't care anymore if his name is out there. He knows the truth. So everybody's on their own level. Paul, Paul is petitioning that they will always be directed to the love of God. Some of them will persevere. Some of them won't. That will not change their salvation. They were sealed the moment that they believed. Those who believed are sealed for the day of redemption. The Bible says that if they walk away or if they lose their hope or if they lose their faith, God will not disown them. He will not do it, okay? It is a comparable saying to a couple on their wedding. May the power of love direct your heart into the love of one another. They are already in love, but the appeal is that they will always be in love and drawn into the love of one another. Just this morning, I read the Song of Solomon. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, the, the love between the husband or the, you know, uh, the Shunammite and Solomon. And they're just going through this wonderful thing. And, you know, I, I don't know if I want to challenge it or not. I, I got to do something in between, um, uh, uh, where are we on, Judges and 
1 Samuel. I've already done Ruth, and so uh, I have somebody that doesn't want me to do Ruth again. He's excited about going on in the Bible, like I am. And so uh, uh, he insisted I do something, and he wants me to do the one of the minor prophets. But I, I almost like to do the Song of Solomon. But that is going to be a real challenge, I got to tell you. I don't, every time I read the Song of Solomon, and I've read many commentaries on it, I get to the end and I close the Bible and I say, Lord, I don't get that. I don't. Does anybody here feel they get the Song of Solomon? Like there's sometimes passages you think, oh, that does seem like Christ and yeah. oh, the absolutely. church. But then you go, nah, I was like, oh, I have no idea what. Yeah, and the way it on. ends, it just ends. So I, I'd love to take the challenge, but I would have to say at the first sermon, because I won't be done with the book by the time we do the first sermon, I have no idea where this is going at this time. Because I read it, and you know, it's poetic. There's meaning in there. It's pointing to Christ, but I don't get it. And every commentary I've ever read does not satisfy me. Mm-hmm. I have not seen a commentary that I think that is sufficient. And so I don't know. I, I personally would like to do it, but... I just don't, eh, we'll see. She's smiling. I think you want me to do it. She's shaking her head. Yes. So uh, it's such a beautiful book. It's so beautiful to read the Song of Solomon. But Lord, why are you telling us this? That's what I want to know. And it's going to take a lot of (laughs) intense study if we do that. So uh, we'll think about it. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, okay. The people are in love already, but they are being asked in their marriage, draw into each other, love each other more, persevere and be united in that wonderful joy of marriage. And to ensure that this love is strengthened so that it can be realized, he finishes with, and into the patience of Christ. Now yours says perseverance, right? Perseverance. Okay. Christ was able to face his trials. What you can do is you can pull that up if you want and hand it to me if you can find the, uh, 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 oh, you got it right there. I just want to see what it says. No, I was talking about Bible Hub. Oh. Yeah, I just, I want to see what the, the Greek says and why uh, one would say perseverance and one would say patience because I didn't analyze the word here, probably because it's such a simple word, patience, but then you hear another uh, commentary and I'm just wondering why they chose perseverance if there's a reason what for What do you it. want to open? Uh, here, uh, so just the Hebrew, uh, 2 Th- Thessalonians 3, 5, and the Greek says, um, uh, uh, this one says steadfastness. So, okay, this uh, the word is hopomone, and it's a remaining behind, a patient enduring, endurance, steadfastness, patience, waiting for. Oh, yeah, and then you go through some of the examples, and Jesus is speaking uh, about bearing fruit with perseverance, and by your endurance, you will gain blah, 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 okay? So, um, uh, a remaining behind, a patient endurance. So, uh Mm. I'd have to study this a little more before I came to any uh, patience, patient continuance, which sounds like perseverance, okay? So I'd have to do a little more of a study on that. That just to get my mind, you know, kind of around the word. But um, uh, I would go, just by looking at that and what Jesus was saying and the other examples, I would go with perseverance rather than just patience. But anyway, um, Christ was able to face his trials Uh, Do I want that? Is that where we are? Yeah. Christ was able to face his trials patiently because his heart was fully directed to the love of God. But it is also true that his patience in those trials made it possible for him to be directed into the love of God. The two work hand in hand to form a complete whole. 
in our trials, we need to be patient, understanding that God has a good end for us. So I'm in a trial. I need to be patient through it. Okay. Um, you guys have a great night. They got to go. Enjoy your evening. Are you going to see Yossi? No. Okay. All right. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, in our trials, we need to be patient, understanding that God has a good end for us, even if the immediate moments are seemingly unbearable. And in our trials, we need to direct our hearts into the love of God so that we may be patient through the trials. Each is a part of the whole, and together they will keep us on the right path toward the good end which lies ahead for the people of God. And these things are needed based on what he had said in the previous verse. He had just said, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. By having our hearts directed into the love of God, and also by having the patience of Christ, we will certainly have the desire and the ability to do the things we are commanded to do. Everything is working together to get us to that end. Everything is working together. This is Paul's heartfelt prayer to those in Thessalonica and thus to us. Okay, so um, life application. Times of trial are certain to come. But if we are properly directed and if we are willing to deter, if we are determined to patiently endure them, then those trials will not destroy our faith. Instead, we will be able to maintain it through the trials. If we are lacking these things, we should pray for the Lord to direct us and establish us in them. He will graciously grant such a request as he has done for the countless faithful who have gone before us. Now, I read that life application at the end of 3-4 because I thought I turned the page and they both end with a life application. So you heard that life application twice. I'm going to read you the... Um, uh, Yes, there's actually three pages that end with a life application. Talk about confusing. Very rarely does that happen because I just type them. And anyway, um, let me see if this has anything worth uh, reading to you guys. Yeah, that's good, but whatever. It's basically the same thought there, so I'm not going to read you that. But anyway, um, uh, it's it, funny how that happened. That never happens where the very top of the page on three pages says life application. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of a Bible study of Charlie Garrett, but it happened here. So uh, that's why I thought we were in 3.6 when we were at the end of 3.4. <sighs> Goofy Charlie, that's what I have to say. Okay, so we are in 3.6 and you want to come up here and finish the uh, thing? Sure. Come on up. I need you to read the NIV. It should be right here. I'll get that open. Right oh, you got it right there. Read that. NIV, we're going to have Rick come up. We need a drum roll. Does anybody here play the drums? We need to have Rick come up here. All right. And we'll have him read the NIV. 3-6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Oh, boy. Yeah, isn't that stern words? Yeah. Okay, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. It's basically the same thing, just differently worded. Okay, and we're going to uh, get to uh, a really great one in verse 8. I don't think we'll get there today. We might, but uh, anyway, you know, it's if you don't work... 
You don't eat. You don't eat. Very good. That's yeah. right. I, that's one thing that I wish the government would learn for the people in America. Okay. But they have an agenda by doing what they do. Okay. We know this. We see this every single week in the projects. We know exactly what they are doing. They're buying votes and they are destroying human lives in the process. That's all they're doing. Uh, the Bible is very clear. We want to get away from the biblical model. We don't want family, nuclear family. We don't want a man as the head of the house. We don't want a boy to be a boy. Everything that they are doing is to destroy the biblical model in this country and in all the other once Christian nations of the world. That's all that they are doing is to get as far away from God as they can. They want to be the arbiters of their own salvation which is never going to happen, but they're trying their best to make it happen. Okay, uh, three, six. Um, you know, I was, Lee was down here last week, and uh, wow, what a great guy. Anyway, he, uh, he uh, was inside, and we were watching something, and I went out to take a shower, and I was thinking while I was taking a shower. This has nothing to do with what we're reading, by the way. It just came to mind, and I just, uh, you know, it, it, same thing. It, 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 what got me thinking about that was the government, and now we have evolution. We want to teach that in our schools. Why? Because it is separate from the biblical model. And I was out there taking a shower, and when I go out now, I've got this new plumbing in the house. Everything works. Everything uh, is just fine. And I go out, and when I turn, it's getting cold, right? Some days are really cold, but I still am taking my showers outside. So I turn on the hot water. I'm full, and I count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I know that the second I get to number seven, I'm counting slow, one second at a time, what's going to happen when I have my foot in the water? Hot water. Hot water. Every single time it happens. Every single time. Without fail. Okay. Why did that happen? Why does it happen like that? Is it just random chance? Absolutely not. No, well, it, you got to think of all the things that make are needed to make that possible. Okay, there has to be a constant supply of water. There has to be a constant pressure of water. There has to be a pipe that carries as much water because if it's a pipe this big, it's going to take three seconds, right? If the pipe changes size, okay, there are all kinds of variables that have to take place in order for that hot water to come out the moment I say seven every single day, right? Is that right? Do you agree? There's all kinds of things that are necessary for that to happen. One of them also is that my hot water heater has to work. There are so many things that are involved in this. It's water. That's all it is. And yet we know that that was designed. We don't have to guess. We know that there was design behind that. Okay. If I want to see the design, I just go back and look at the pipes. I go back and look at the hot water heater. I go down to the county and I say, can I see your water pump? And I'll know that it's pumping at exactly this pressure all the time. It's a variable speed pump so that your water doesn't blast in your house one moment and stop blasting in another. It's constant pressure. Variable speed pump and it keeps the whole line pressurized all the time. We know that somebody is doing that. And yet we can't figure out the most intricate things in the universe didn't happen by chance and that they continue to work perfectly and say that all happened by chance. Are we not the stupidest species on the planet? I mean, we got animals that can figure that out. 
The Bible says that the animals know their creator. They know when he's going to feed them. They know everything about this relationship. And they don't have any sense at all. They're just brute beasts. And we can't figure out that simple water flowing under pressure implies there's a designer. I don't know. It just came to mind. We're, everything we do in this world is to get away from God. Just push him out of the way. Anyway, 3.6. In verse 4, Paul noted his confidence that the Thessalonians would do the things that were commanded them. He now gives such a command. I'm confident that you'll do this. Now I'm going to tell you something you have to do. Okay? Specifically stating it as such. This is a command. But he again calls them brethren. It is a command based on their place in Christ and one which is intended to ensure harmony within that placement. If you don't do this, your harmony with your creator is going to be harmed. That's all there is to it. He's given the manual. You have to know what he wants. Paul is telling us, okay? To further bolster this, he then says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what made them brethren in the first place is Jesus Christ. If I went to Pakistan tomorrow, if I got on a plane and flew over there and I met that guy and I said, here's some money for your nose surgery, he'd be my brother because of Jesus Christ. Just because we don't speak the same language and, you know, he's got darker skin than me or whatever doesn't mean that he is any different than me in Christ. He's just as much a brother and it doesn't matter if I've been in Christ for this many years and he's been in for a couple months. It doesn't make any difference. They are believers in Christ, okay? Because of their standing in Christ and under the authority of that name, which was given to Paul and those with him, he issues his first of a series of commands and exhortations. The first command is that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. That's something that we're commanded to do. If somebody is walking disorderly, we need to withdraw from him. Now, there's a reason why. He says this explicitly in uh, other epistles, but he wants you to get away from them for two reasons that I can think of right off the top of my head. Why? Why would he want you to withdraw from a brother that's walking disorderly? He'll draw you down. And secondly, I, uh, I was going to give that one the second, and now I forgot the first. Hang on. Oh, uh, it's because you want to shame him. You want him to know, I can't fellowship with you. You say you're a brother, and yet you're not living according to what the Bible would ask of you. And this isn't people that just do stuff, you know? I mean, we joke around in the projects, and we're not always serious, and that's not what that's talking about. That's talking about somebody that is not living properly for the Lord. He's not living in an orderly fashion. His life is out of tune with what Paul has told them, and now what we are being told in Scripture. He says, withdraw from them. And those are the two reasons. First, so that... He is shamed, and hopefully he will say, you know what, I'd rather be in fellowship with them than hanging around with these people. And secondly, that they don't bring you down. Because if you have people around you like that, they are going to bring you into the same pit that they are in, okay? The word he uses is found only elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 20. It gives a sense of taking precaution against. In modern lingo, we might nod towards such a person and quietly say under our breath, watch out for that guy, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to watch out for him. Be cautious around him. This is not a formal excommunication like the guy in 1 Corinthians 5. Expel him from the church. That is not this. But it is a strong warning to not get tangled up with such a person. Withdraw from him. Watch out for him. 
don't be participating in what he's doing. Most churches of any size at all have one or two people like this. They are given instruction and they refuse to apply it to their lives. Thus, they are disorderly. The word so translated is an adverb found twice, both in this chapter. Uh, verse 11 will have its second use. So it's an adverb that's used only twice, disorderly. As an adjective, it is used in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where it is translated as unruly. But unruly is a adverb, so it's mistranslated, okay? An adjective, uh, L-Y at the end of a word usually means an adverb, right? Okay, everybody got that? Look for your L-Y and you'll know it's an adverb. Anyway, um, it signifies someone who walks in an insubordinate manner towards the word of God and thus is fruitless. He lacks proper discipline. The reason he is this way is because his walk is not, Paul's words now, not according to the tradition which he received from us. Paul gave them instruction. He's not doing it that way. And so watch out for that guy. And he's going to give examples of this. Like I said, in just a few minutes, he's going to say, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat. Well, they're not working. He's like, withdraw from them. They're just going to bring you down. The guys are sitting around all day long speculating on the timing of the rapture. That's all they're doing. They're just sitting there. Paul has given us, you know that's what they're talking about because Paul has given us all of the rapture information in the previous chapter. They're saying the Lord is coming. We don't need to work. He's going to be here soon. He's going to be here next Tuesday. I was down at 7-Eleven and I got some falafel and I got $7.77 change. And I know that means next Tuesday's a rapture. And that's all they do all day long is I've got people that email me that kind of nonsense every single day, every single day. And I just delete it. You know, if they want to send me a productive email, I will respond. If not, if I get that, I just delete the email. I'm not going to respond to that. I'm, not, You know, it tells me, one thing it tells me is that they do not watch our Bible studies. Because if they did, they wouldn't be sending me that kind of nonsense. But I get it every single day. I'll get 10 emails from somebody and five of them will be about the rapture's tomorrow morning, right? Or the rapture's going to be on 13 uh, December. And then it doesn't happen and they're just like a pig going back to the wallow. The next week they're doing another one. And that's all they do all day long. Don't fellowship with people like that. Watch out for that guy. Okay? So, um, let's see here. Uh, uh, one Thessalonians, yeah, unruly. Okay, yeah, the tradition Paul, Paul speaks of is an authoritative standard which is expected to be passed on and adhered to. Is that your explanation for tradition? Uh, yes, uh, tradition which he received. The tradition Paul speaks of is an authoritative standard which is expected to be passed on and adhered to. Because, you know, the, the Gospels are full of it. Don't go like your tradition. That oh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, at the time, there was no New Testament. Okay. And so what was tradition now becomes a part of the epistle. It becomes, and he specifically called it a command earlier, either in, earlier in this verse or the previous verse. Yeah. yeah, but he has to give a tradition because until they have an established thing going on, that's all it is. Yeah. This is what I do. This is what I want you to do. And so that is his tradition, which now is a part of the word of God, right? See that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the word tradition there is not what Jesus is speaking of, where those people were adding to the word of God. They didn't have the word of God. And so he is giving them what would be the tradition of the apostles, which becomes the apostolic word once it's in writing. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, once again, it is uh, Paul speaks of it. 
uh, it is an authoritative standard which is expected to be passed on and adhered to, which is now what we have in our word. Okay, so as it says, it is Paul's words from us. It is that which is apostolic in nature. As it is, it ultimately receives its authority from Christ the Lord. They were given the authority. They were the apostles. They were the people were to be obedient to what the apostles said. They know they are inspired by the Lord, and now you do what they say. That is your tradition, which is, like I said, now it has become the word of God. But there had to be something at the beginning, and that was the traditions of these men. Okay, uh, now we don't need them. Anybody that claims apostolic authority today, if they say I'm the apostle, whatever, I wouldn't click on their video. I wouldn't answer their email. I wouldn't go to their church. Okay, if somebody claims to be an apostle, it is a complete misuse of the word. All right, there's no need to even call yourself that. You, you know, you're a teacher, you're a preacher, whatever, but there's no need for that type of a thing. And it's just... I know the apostle this and the apostle that and it's just you know it, it's very sad that people uh, you know co-opt words that they should not it shows that they have not read and understood what the meaning of that word is because if they did they wouldn't well maybe they would maybe they'd still claim that they were commissioned by Jesus personally and then they're insane so whatever um, uh, let's see here today with the Bible complete there is no such tradition, there it is right there, which is not found there. In other words, with the ending of the apostolic age, any other traditions are from men and not from God. The apostolic traditions are authoritative. Now they are in writing. We don't need any others, okay? And that's why I say, you know, I always point at the pulpit and say, because we always have the Bible sitting right there. We don't have a book of discipline. We don't have a, you know, a, a common order. We don't have, a, they got all these different words that they use for their books that they have written down. This is how we run the church, okay? Whether it's a book of discipline or whether it's a book of common order, they got all kinds of them. There's no point in that. There's no point in doing that, okay? And once in a while, we'll be doing something in the church long enough and I'll change it because I don't want it to become something that people just repeat constantly, and so you, once in a while, I'll stop doing this and I'll start doing something differently. Because I think that if I kept doing the same thing all the time, people might think we need to do it that way. Now, we don't need to do it that way. There's no set instruction for how to do the Lord's Supper. It's not written anywhere except 1 Corinthians 11. And we do it, we read it, but there's no, you have to sit down, you have to stand up, you got to do this and that. You know, that when you go to the Episcopal Church, I know because I went there for years growing up, is followed the same routine. You went down, you went up to the guy. Everything was all this, this tradition. And pretty soon you think that this is the way that it has to be done. It's not. The Lord, you know, if you look at, uh, usually movies are pretty good about this. They'll show Jesus at the uh, table with the apostles around him, right? They're sitting down on the ground because they had low tables like Hideko and I do. We sit on the floor. Um, Japanese style. But anyway, they're sitting down low. They might be leaning up against each other. And then they, when they have their blessings, they just sit there and pass stuff around. And that's what it would have been like. It wouldn't have been some formal thing that they did. You know, okay, let's sing a psalm. And they would do that. And they, uh, you know, the great Hallel and all that. But there wouldn't be any traditions like we have in so many churches around the world. All that does is it causes too much pomp and arrogance to grow in people. I'm talking about the leadership. So uh, just 
nonsense. It becomes works oriented too. Yeah, that's it's it. that's right. It, it's like it's something that is, you know, they walk around with these stupid tall hats in the Episcopal Church, and they've got these crosses they carry down the middle of the thing, and they think that they're more pious than everybody. And it's like they're working, they're impressing God by doing that stuff. It's, it's nonsense. Anyway, um, but that's what they do. And, you know, if you go to a church like that, that's fine. I just don't see the need for it. There's no need to have all that kind of nonsense. No. Oh, I know. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm saying for the person that's there, I'm not going to condemn you. As long as they love Jesus, you know, I, I, I'm saying this. And I got somebody in this church right now that goes to one of those churches quite often. And so I'm, I'm being careful about that because she loves the music. She loves the liturgy. You know, whatever. Um, I, I got through all of that. I don't need any of that in my life. All I need is the word and to just get closer to Jesus every day. But we're all on different level. We all want to do our own thing. I got to tell you, when I hear music that I grew up with, I love it. This person I'm talking about loves the music that she listened to her whole life. And so she goes and just sits and listens to the music. I never got anything out of it. It was way too slow and boring for me. But whatever. Um, okay, so... Um, where are we? Walk is not according to the tradition. Yeah, okay, today with the Bible complete, there's no such tradition which is not found there. In other words, with the ending of the apostolic age, any other traditions are from men and not from God. They may be useful, but they do not carry the same authoritative stamp. Papal edicts, books of discipline, and so on can all be amended, okay? The Word of God cannot. It is this word of God which carries the traditions which Paul speaks of here, okay? Life application. Churches often place high value on written codes which are extra-biblical, using them for practical guidance of their gatherings. This is rather unfortunate, as has been seen among many long-standing denominations in recent years. One example is the Book of Discipline found in the Methodist Church. In recent years, one, uh, I'm sorry, it was given with guidelines concerning morality, which were originally closely aligned with the biblical standards. When they first started, they said, we're going to, you know, write this down. However, those standards have lately been changed. Now, this is probably an eight or 10-year-old commentary, but it's been changed or are being evaluated for a change. They can amend their book of discipline. So now we got this great schism in the Methodist church. In the past week, I read an art, another article like 140 churches left the Methodist church, okay? They are no longer United Methodist, okay? Because of the homosexual issue, all right? Now, those churches that stay, that don't leave, have amended their books of discipline. They're saying that this is okay, and this is okay, and this is okay. You can't amend the word of God. It's written. It is that's it. So why do you need the word of God if you have a book of discipline, which is telling you what to do? The people hold on to that. The Bible has no value to them at all. That is a sad, sad state to be in, in any church, any denomination. But this is the way it is. Okay. Those standards have lately been changed or are being evaluated for change to allow all kinds of unbiblical perversion. If you don't believe that, I know you don't listen to the weekly prophecy update, but the Pope, he is changing doctrine throughout the entire Catholic Church. It is unbelievable. He goes to a different church. Shame on him. But um, uh, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, we're talking about, and the problem with this is, and I say this every week, is that it doesn't matter that, oh, that's the guy over there. That doesn't affect us. Actually, it does. And the reason why is because when 
Somebody turns on the TV and they see the Pope. What do they think? That's it. That's Christianity. It affects us because they think he represents all Christians. If they're not a part of the Christian faith, they're a Muslim, they're going to say, well, that's, that's Christianity. They all believe that because he is the main thing. And there's a reason for that. It's because now this guy that is in that position has got the entire world duped about Christianity. So now we are the ones that are aberrant. We are the ones that are out of step with God because we hold to this word. See, it says Holy Bible. This is no longer necessary. It hasn't been for a long time, but it's not necessary in the Roman Catholic Church in any way, shape, or form. Okay? They can amend it if they want. They say they have authority over it. In their own Bibles, you'll read little commentaries that we reserve the right to accept or not accept this particular uh, part of the Bible. Okay? They uh, have what are called papal bulls, which are supposedly divine edicts from God, and yet papal bulls can be rescinded. So they can't be divine edicts because the word of God cannot be rescinded. Okay? You know, we got to think through who we're going to believe and what we're going to believe. Um, uh, instead of going back to the source, meaning the Bible, they have altered their traditions which were man-given. This is error. Either the Bible is the rule and guide of our walk, or we have no proper source by which we will conduct ourselves in accord with God's standard. Okay? And that's all there is to it. We can debate. I can't do another verse. There's no way we'll get it done in eight minutes. But um, uh, what we have to do, and I say this from time to time, you would be dishonest to say, well, the Quran isn't the word of God if you've never read the Quran. Okay? Now, you could say, I know that the Bible is the word of God, and therefore the Quran isn't the word of God. And I would agree with that. But if you just say, well, that's not the word of God, and you don't know what it says, you're making a, a statement that is inappropriate. You don't know what it says. But if you have studied it, or if you are, now I'm talking about anybody. I'm not talking about Christians in particular. If you're just anybody, well, that's not the word of God. Okay? Because people do that with the Bible all the time. Well, that's not the word of God. That's just what you believe. Okay? How do you know unless you've studied it? How can you make that claim? And yet people make it all the time. All right? How do you know if evolution is true or not? Unless you've studied evolution. And I can tell you absolutely 100% for certain that they do not have one single bone of evidence in the fossil record for evolution. Not one. We have all the evidence in the world for a worldwide flood. Mm -hmm. Everywhere. It's everywhere. And yet... People just dismiss the Bible and they say, well, creation isn't true. And they've never read the Bible. They have no idea what it says. They've never compared it to the world around them and they make claims. So if you are a person that says the Quran is not the word of God and you've never read the Quran, unless you know that you already possess the word of God, you're making a false claim. Okay. So before I uh, ever put my beans in any basket, I read all the religions I could find. I read all of them. I just kept reading all these things. You know, I... I think I said it here in class, maybe I said it in a prophecy update, but when I flew from Japan to Malaysia, I bought a, a Koran. And I thought, I'm going to read this so that I know what these people down here think. And there was no light at all in that word. I absolutely assure you of that. Okay? I just, I am absolutely certain of it. But, whatever. You know, you just, if you're going to make statements, make sure that they're in a line with, with reality. 
okay? If you have checked out the Word of God, if you know 100% for sure that it is the Word of God, then you don't need to worry about the Quran at all. But if you are a person that is seeking out the truth and you want to know, I would recommend you read everything you can, everywhere you can, and compare it to this word. And you will never find anything that compares to this word. It answers the problem of man. There's not another book on this planet that answers the problem of man. I'm sorry, you know, Norman Vincent Peale tried, but uh, he didn't quite make it. Uh, these people come up with all of these things and they don't answer the underlying problem, which is sin. And unless you're going to deal with the sin problem, nothing else matters because there is not a person on this planet, if they're reasonable and willing to accept it, that doesn't accept that sin is the problem. Now, they may not understand it. They may not understand that sin is the problem. But once you are presented with sin, which leads to, you know, sin causes people to kill other people. Sin causes people to steal something that isn't there. And everybody knows that people do this all over the world. What is the root behind those actions? Sin. Three-letter word. It's a very simple word, but I got to tell you what. Once you realize what's going on in the world, sin is the problem behind it. Now, how sin came into uh, existence is a different thing, okay? Is there a devil? Is there not a devil? How did it happen? Okay, I'll grant you that. But if you just go to the root problem, Sin is the problem. How it came about, the Bible explains that as well. But the problem is sin. And unless that's dealt with, there is no hope for the human condition. The Bible alone defines the sin problem and how it will be resolved. And it is all the work of Jesus Christ. We don't have to do anything, folks. Thank God for Jesus. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for what you have done in the giving of your word, which tells us of the greater thing which you have done, the giving of Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to be obedient to the things we've learned tonight, the commands that are given, more commands coming in the weeks ahead. Help us to apply them to our lives, to be firm in our doctrine, firm in our convictions, and faithful to you as we live out our lives. You're so good to us, Lord. You're just so good to us. It's demonstrated above anything else that I can think of is that it's demonstrated in the people of Israel. They don't know you. Many of them don't even know the, uh, the source of who they are as a people, that it's Moses, it was the Exodus, it was the calling of them as a people. And yet you have saved them all these generations for a good purpose. And because you're so faithful to them, to a covenant which they have violated so many times, we know that you will be faithful to us even when we violate our faithfulness towards you in the new covenant, the greater covenant, because it was, came at the highest cost of all. Thank you for Jesus who was willing to do that for us, and we praise you in his beautiful name. Amen. All right, let me back this up. I don't know if we'll have sound when I back this up or not because Sergio's gone and he has to push certain buttons, but we'll wave at you. At least we'll wave at you. Let's see here. We're going to go to uh, break. Yes.